welcome to Architecture Talk Tang. I am Sara Colada, an architect and organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, the first of its kind business of architecture event, bringing to stage major architecture practices to cover topics related to entrepreneurship and practice operations within the AEC industry. I am an architecture business development consultant and my goal is to raise the financial well-being of architects through effortless business growth. Each podcast episode features an expert or thought leader from the AEC industry who shares their journey, challenges and advice. Now, let's dive into this episode and welcome our guest for an exclusive interview. Hello, 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 everybody. Architecture Talk Tang with Sarah Colata. It's a little bit of a guerrilla show today, not normally on time, but we had a bit of a thing going on from last week. So I've got Dapla Tank Ariene with me today, hey. an architect also from Berlin, just where I am. So that's exciting. We're we're in the same city and we're going to talk a little bit about architecture, about architectural profession and also his journey as an architect. So welcome, Dapla. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's excellent. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and your journey as an architect. Okay, um, so um, I'll start right from the from the beginning. I was born in the UK. Um, I grew up in Ghana, Ghanaian. And then when I was uh, for university, I went to Australia to study architecture. So I did my bachelor and master's in Australia. Then one thing led to another, and I found and ended up in Berlin. Worked for a um, architecture firm when I first came. Then I worked for after that, I worked for a series of um, real estate companies. So right now I'm at the stage where um, I left uh, my real estate company last year and I'm trying to develop ideas in this sort of real estate architecture space. Interesting. So real estate kind of just came about randomly or did you choose it as a career shift? Actually, um, it was it was my old boss and the first job I had in the architecture office he sort of recommended it like, Hey, you know, have you thought about going to um, real estate or combining it, doing something together with architecture? And I was just like, no, you know, um, I'm an architect. I want to design buildings. You know, I want to do the conventional way of doing things, you know, designing building. And I just thought, yeah, okay. So I, I stayed there for a bit, but after a while, I one thing led to another. Then I just end, ended up in real estate. Um, but then I saw the opportunity and I just rolled with it, you know? So yeah, that's, and that's why I ended up now. And I think through that other sort of ideas and stuff have opened up for me. Yeah. So interesting. I'm always yeah. fascinated to hear about career pivots because obviously I, I really believe that architecture is so multidimensional that you can really find yourself in a lot of different things. But mm -hmm. a lot of times when people um, change, even slightly, they see it as a failure. Um, mm -hmm. So was it hard for you or was it like an exciting shift? Well, I, I think for most people it was at the beginning, it was, uh, I'll say a bit confrontational in the sense that um, for me personally, I thought I was kind of betraying what I had learned, you know, because exactly interesting you say that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in architecture school, you are 
your thoughts or you know what uh, you know you can become a designer like Zahadid, Norman Foster, Ram House, you know. So when you get to that stage, when you finish, you graduated, you 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 are now in the marketplace, you're working. And if there's any sort of thing that confronts or challenges that notion, you know, it's 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 confrontational. You know, you, you think through certain things like, oh, you know, this is not what I want to do what I've been trained to do. And you sometimes you think it's a waste of training because you've been trained in this way. But um, after a while, you need to give yourself that space to actually think and explore as to what you really want to do. And for me, yes, at the beginning, it was challenging. Like, oh, you know, this is not what I want to do. I want to design buildings. You know, I want to become the next great architect. But I had a story that it's only what less than... I'll say less than, but it's about, I had a story, a stat, don't, it's not a direct stat, but about 10% of people actually make it to the normal foster level, you know, and I think um, architecture, as you said, it has, it's, I believe it's, for me, it's a way of thinking about certain things, how you can apply your skills in other areas. So it doesn't have to be in design and buildings, you know, it could be in various fields and as an individual, you just need to explore that, sit down and try and figure out what you really want to do. Because at the end of the day, the reality is not everybody's going to design buildings as architects, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I also think that um, this, this general idea that like, when you move away from architecture, it's a failure and that you're betraying your path is so strong. <laughs> that yeah. we're just scared to change you know it's it's a fear and yet you see real estate is not really that far from architecture and i know that now you married the two in a way in which you look for um solutions for better living environments so mm -hmm. it really enriches in a way the work that you do right now in real estate because you have that perspective coming from architecture and always looking into ways in which you can better the living environment for your client for the people for the user and so i really believe that when we diversify we find new ways in which we can actually apply our vast knowledge and that eye that we have for improvement yeah. in um in also other areas that we work in so it's really an addition um but not many people see it like that um so yeah. tell me a little bit more about that experience now and how did you find the two combined working together okay um so i'll give you an example in real estate you have um a typical role is the asset manager right and mm -hmm. asset managers normally come from from a finance background so developers will normally come from like um, not all the time but a lot of the time they come from a financial background and as i said asset managers right so the, the, the asset, which is the real estate or um, project or building or whatever, it's sort of commoditized, right? So everything they process, it, the way they think about things is through this filter, that it's numbers, right? So when it comes to thinking outside the box, right, they think through that lens. But imagine if you are an architect as an asset manager, right? you're not just thinking through a financial lens, you're thinking through a design lens and an architectural lens, right? So when you are planning um, ideas or strategies or things that can improve the, the asset, you are thinking through this sort of multi-dimensional framework, you know, whereas 
as I said, with asset managers, it's just to, you know, okay, how can this make, increase the value of the building? You know, but with an architect, you can say, okay, you know what, if I do this this way as an architect, it can, yes, design, increase the value of a building, but also it can increase the, the value, like the, um, the experience and the quality of life in the building. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think it, it's, it's amazing because um, you, you find that a lot of asset managers, what they do is the architect comes on board as a consultant, you know, which is fine. But what happens is you are sort of constrained, you know, the asset manager tells you what he wants, the architect mm-hmm. produces it, and then that is just like a, you, you, there's a back and forth. But generally, you go with what the asset manager says, you know. And it's it's always it's always an advantage to have that sort of um, angle. Another example is perhaps like a developer, right? A developer is more more rounded, you know. He, he deals with all the stages of a development, of course. And the thing is, as a developer, it's finance, right? It's about how do I get my returns back, you know? So for him, what he's getting from the architect is what the architect is telling him. So by if you are a developer with an architectural background, you can start thinking about things differently. Another Mm -hmm. case is if you are like somebody who works in the city council, you know, and you're an architect, you understand when somebody brings a building proposal, you know how to question and understand the project because you have an architectural background, you know. So there are so many ways in which an architect can actually contribute to the built environment. Um, say for example, we, we both live in Berlin. Um, imagine, and Berlin has big housing issues, you know, a massive housing mm. shortage. So yes. imagine if you had, if you had like, um, all these people who are in influential positions in the city council, um, who are, who have a background in architecture, right? And I'm not saying they are not there, but if there was like this sort of awareness, like, okay, architects in the city council then we are able to think about problems creatively, you know, not just in this box where somebody brings something, oh, this is not how we do things, but you're able to actually think creatively because that's what you did when you were studying. You had to think about things creatively. So Mm. I I definitely think that there's um, immense opportunities for in different fields for architects if they will take them. Mm, Absolutely. I really think so. And, you know, it all really starts with us. I mean, there is a huge dropout uh, rate in architecture. And the big reason behind it is because architects get huge disappointment when they go to practice and they realize that it's not all about just being a visionary and work with these utopian ideas of reality, but actually a lot of documentation and drawing and detail drawing and all that stuff. And a lot of people realize that that's not really how I imagine this to work and I'm not the greatest CAD monkey, so what do I do? And um, and really when, when we have that issue of like dropping out or a lot of times um, we get really scared as to what could we do because the, the idea that if I don't do architecture, I'm just burned, you know, I'm a, I'm a failure or whatever. But instead of realizing that actually it's it's an enrichment to almost every single industry and pretty much, I mean, first of all, it's never too late. But also another thing is that we can actually be also seen as an asset on the team as we move industries and go into a different field because we have that other outlook and approach. And I think that a lot of business people and people all together um, 
can appreciate that and people people more and more build diverse teams um so it's not just like for example in in your in your example it's not just that financial outlook onto real estate but also looking into other aspects that are more human friendly and and having that diversity of thoughts in uh, in the leadership or even in the in the workload uh, of of the company it's really important to be able to to de deliver like um more diverse projects as well and run the business more in a more diverse way so i think that it really matters and it's interesting to to take that opinion as to i'm actually rich coming into a different industry because i have all that background rather than to be scared to transition or and exactly. um, feel like failure with architecture exactly and you know do Great point. Exactly, exactly. But um, I think also with architecture, what architecture teaches you is then the nature of the way it's taught, you know, um, is one of, you know, you are this very qualified person, you know, you know a lot about uh, the the industry, the built environment, you know, which is true. I, I, I always say this, right? Um, architects are the most knowledgeable when it comes to the built environment, you know. Mm -hmm. But the thing is the reality of the situation is there are other players now so in in that sense we are not architects are not the most influential in the sense of yeah. decision making you know that's because true. you have the developer you have the asset manager you have the person of city council and there's always there's politics too you know and mm. in my experience what i've found is there is there's a sort of arrogance right that comes with um, I don't mean it in a bad way, it's just the reality of the situation, right? As architects, there's this sort of, we have this mindset like, we know all these things. We are knowledgeable and stuff. You need us, you know? So whereas the reality outside is, hey, wait a minute, like, we we have these things happening here, you know, and you are supposed to consult with us, you know? So there's there's this sort of clash because architects have this sort of, I call it gatekeeping. You know, we have this area that is supposed to be important, you know, which should be, but the way the world has changed and evolved over the last 60, 70, 80 years, right, in terms of how projects are run and stuff, has created this condition where although architects are important, there are other important players too, as I was saying, the asset manager and the developer, because they have the money construction managers, mm -hmm. project managers. And it comes out to this thing about the risk, you know, higher risk, higher reward, you know. Um, so if you look at a project, right, uh, if you're running a project, where the risk, the highest part of the project where the risk is high is the, the actual execution of the project, actual on-ground work, builders on site, building the walls, you know, the trusses and all these things. And these things have risk attached to them, right? Mm -hmm. And construction managers are the ones that take on the risk. Their job is to manage risk, not to eliminate, but to manage the risk. And I think the evolution of the architecture profession has been one where, I mean, back in the day, if you go back to the days of Christopher Wren, um, it was the master builder. So he had all these sort of components into one as an architect. The architect was the master builder. But today you have construction manager, the project manager, all these little things that have sort of siphoned the off. 
Exactly. You know, and also you have this evolution of um, real estate as an asset class. Mm -hmm. you know, because um, before the, um, the 70s, before um, they call it Reaganomics, you know, President Reagan, you know, he liberalized the economy in the States and Margaret Thatcher liberalized the economy in the Great Britain. Before then, the post-war era, the government was more or less a guarantor of projects. He had, because it was post-war, lots of projects, because there was a boom in the population, housing, everything. Then the 70s came around and things changed, you know. But then the thing is, architecture is, I, I believe, that is still stuck in this mind uh, framework where we're still in the, like, the 50s and 60s, you mm -hmm. know, where we feel like, okay, you know, we should be doing all these projects. But it's not like that now. No. You know, and, yeah. So it is an interesting, yeah. Um, and I think that there's definitely uh, a lot of truth to what you say, because there is definitely this concept and talks about a disappearing industry. And I think that we are sort of a slowly declining industry because our um, there is a lot of replacement in the market to our services. So, for example, let's look at IKEA. You know, a lot of times they don't even need architects in order to, you know, revitalize your whole apartment. So up till today, a big chunk of architectural money comes from actually interior design projects or even just, you know, uh, re refurbishment and this sort of th stuff. But you have big, um, you know, big sort of monopoly style uh, businesses that come in and monopolize completely the industry. And by quick solution, uh, it's all made to measure. You can have a bunch of technicians do it. You don't even have to have any permits or anything. It takes the job away from architects that used to be quick cash because working on, you know, refurbishment or just house renovation is um, it's, a, it's a quick cash. It's not like a five to ten year really big build project and a lot of architecture especially in the city offices basically uh, rely on their income coming from that so there, there is that and then obviously development does sort of something like that but on the architectural big scale right so developers come in with their own solutions they're sort of made to measure they're all like uh, one solution fits all kind of model a lot of times. And of course, we know that there is a lot of problems that come with these solutions that you mentioned. They're like less um, kind of conscious of uh, the society, the needs of the human being, etc. There's definitely been issues like that in London. And I think that there's been new regulations that came in through the RIBA about this because they've been building buildings where they separated the room into so many different rooms that there were actually spaces with no windows that people lived in. And that's crazy for a city like London. But obviously, that's a developer's solution, thinking about money, how to how to basically make the most money on the metrage and um, not always the good... Uh, the good uh, outcome that can come from it for the client so um, or the, the user. So there's def definitely that. And I think that um, with more and more uh, these kind of solutions merging in the market, the role of an architect diminishes. This is why it's even more important for us to really assert our value and communicate uh, the value that we hold to uh, our immediate environment to our clients and to the general public and I think that um, there's been a, a debate surely about how to do it best and I think that even the RIBA actually within the UK 
is looking into ways to educate general public about the value of an architect. But I really believe that uh, the biggest way, the biggest change that we can implement is by actually realizing our own value first, because it's us who go out there communicating with clients. It's all us who go out there um, establishing relationships. And if we don't somehow protect our value, our income and how for how much we sell our services and all that stuff, then we communicate that we are a commodity and commodity can be replaced by another commodity. So if if we ourselves don't assert that value and say, okay, here is the limit and I just won't go lower than that or I won't work on this kind of conditions or others, we have to protect also the experience of the user as we represent um, this experience through our design and basically are this sort of media media between the idea and the way the user will kind of interact with it. So um, this is all kind of what it always comes back to is your personal perception as the designer of the work that you do and taking responsibility for it. And I think that there is still 2.7 million architects around the world. That is still a significant number, even though in the global economy and the amount of people in the world we're not big <laughs> like this isn't this isn't, yeah. this isn't a huge chunk of economy or whatever yeah. um and definitely this is a slowly disappearing sector however um however very much important and and it does protect so many things and it represents so many things like the user experience and the the the, the dignity of living in dignified conditions which everyone every human being has a right for um even in cities like london we're not even talking about the third world you know and and dignity human dignity provided by livelihood there we're talking about big cities, metropolis that are basically every day facing the either a shortage of um, housing like it is in Berlin, but also issues with housing in London where development doesn't meet human rights almost, I would say, in some cases. And surely that is on the hands of the RIBA, but also individual architects, I think. So in a way, it's, it's really to... Um, protect it as uh, as architects we should protect it but also i think to grow in confidence to be able to diversify learn more from other industries and and push back so if there are industries that are coming into architecture and sort of stealing our role in society we can push back and reclaim our role by finding new diverse ways in which we can interact with society and provide solutions because there's innovation in so many different departments um you know and in mobility and in business and and in marketing and so many different topics um but we even though we're trained to be innovating and be visionary sometimes we don't actually um we're too scared to kind of expand i yeah, feel you know, sorry yeah go for it yeah, um you know it's exactly right you know um Again, as I said, there's this, um, I, I feel that my, my, my perspective is that there seems to be this, once you study, right, there's this uh, idea of this is the domain of the architect, right? Is mm -hmm. this domain that we have? So if I, were to, if, I, if I were to visualize it, right, you come out of university, right, you go into, into, into the workplace, right? And in the workplace, there's this sort of carved out section just for architects you know so it, it's it's this sort of um secured place 
you know, which is guaranteed for your career, you know. That, that mm. I, I think that's the mentality. Like, so when things are not going, I was like, these people don't understand, you know, they, they don't value design, they don't value architecture. But the reality is, um, think things are changing, things are evolving quickly. You know, um, I remember my, my favorite architect is Ram Gohans. He said something like, um, I read in one of his um, articles, he was saying that the job of the architect, right, is to haggle with the realities. So there are economic, political, technological, and financial realities. The job of an architect is to haggle with those realities. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, if you look at the architects of old, um, this is immediately after the, the war, World War II, um, you had a, 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 like a boom of all these sort of modernist um, uh, programs or people who are doing crazy stuff like the metabolists in Japan, you know, what is possible, yeah. you know, crazy yeah. ideas, you know, which was a great time, you know. Um, mm. But the thing is, um, that was then, you know, mm -hmm. and even good ideas cost money. Mm -hmm. you know? So back then you could have, if you're an architect, perhaps you could have unfettered access to maybe projects, funding, because the government was, was um, secure those things. Architecture Talk Tank is sponsored by the good people at Integrated Projects, a team of architects and technologists focus on the digitalization of the built environment. Did you know that there are more existing buildings in this world than websites? Yet only 0.0001% have been digitized. In response to this, the Integrated Projects team launched BIMIT to digitize any space imaginable. Offices, homes, mechanical spaces, you name it. Now any architect, engineers or reality capture specialists can convert their 3D scan into LOD 200 BIM just in hours, not weeks or months. Why does this matter? Well, now we can accurately view, verify and quantify the spaces that we design, build and operate. To learn more about BIMIT, visit www.integrated-projects.com forward slash but now since the private sector real estate is more or less the dominant player when it comes to lots of projects mm -hmm. architects do it's a very different thing so the, i believe there's this sort of disconnect with um what the architect can do and what he's doing and what the developer wants or what the people in this mainstream or um, in the industry want um mm -hmm. I'll be honest, um, I remember when I started working in real estate, I had a meeting um, with, uh, we had a meeting, I was working for a real estate company, as I said, we had a meeting with other real estate companies to, to organize this competition right, for an architectural competition for a project in Meta. It was built, it was finished a few years ago. And these guys, there was a list of, um, the competition was organized, there was a list of all these architects. And they, these are the big shots, you know, in in, in, in Berlin. And you think that, oh man, because as architects, man, these are like the the the, the top guns, you know, they are the the normal forces of Germany. I'm I don't want to name anybody, but they have these sort of big shot architects. And these guys were just like going like, nope, these guys, no, we don't want to work with them because 
they have problems with the city council or these guys are like this and this is what's happening here and there was another project where a big big firm in berlin um was quite you know everybody wants to work for them and one big developer told me that um, for them they are having problems selling their units because the floor the way they design a building is not conducive to for people to live in or to sell at that rate you know wow. so you see that this connection here where mm -hmm. the architect has his mind he has his design he knows what he wants to do but then the reality is right there's a financial aspect to it you know of and course. if these things are meeting then mm -hmm. there's a sort of discrepancy um and also to touch on your point on this sort of uh, claiming back um the, the field um I think you you are right because um, uh, for me I, I wouldn't say even claim it may, maybe this way we, be, we might slightly disagree or maybe it's just different ways we're wording things but I'll say that um, with architects need to start figuring out other sources of um, other ways in which they can use their skills pragmatically mm. in the in the industry because what a lot of people don't know is there's a lot because this sector is possibly the last sector real estate or construction or as you say AEC you know architecture engineering construction as a broader term is the last um field to be what do they call it um to be oh I've forgotten the word when you want to innovate something um disrupted is the last field to be disrupted yeah. so there are a lot of firms in the PropTech scene who are trying to change the way people design and build and stuff. And it was fun because I was, a, I was on a platform once for architects and somebody was talking about those um, software that came up with AI, you know, how to design a floor plans with AI. And everybody was going on like, hey, you know what? Um, this will never happen. You know, design is about you know humane aspects of things. Trying to figure out people's um, it, it's creativity. You know, you can't um, if I should use the word creativize AI processes because AI is data mm -hmm. and you know, creativity is spontaneous comes out of the head. And I was saying like th that that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is this thing is here, and this is only the first stage. Who knows what this is going to do in 10, 15, 20 years time. You know, yeah, absolutely. Very well. Yeah, it may very well be able to design a very functional home, which is convenient, and the owners or the people who live there love it. You know. Yeah. So again, there's this gatekeeping mindset that this is our field, and AI. Nope, you're not going to work here. This is what we do. We are creative and stuff. So what's happening is there's only the gate happening. The walls are gone, and we're just standing at the gate, gatekeeping, making sure that oh. Nobody comes and takes our field, but it's happening, mm. you know, and architects just need to think differently and, you know, find different ways of apply their skills and what they know, because it's very valuable in um, solving problems in the built environment or wherever, you know. Yeah, it's so valuable and it's a great skill. And I know that in business, it's a seek for skill because it's more that those personal skills that matter, um, rather than the so much the training you know you can always train people but the thing is 
uh, problem solving, for example, is a huge, uh, it's a really good example for that as well, because a lot of people um, will choose problem solvers over like um, for certain for certain group combinations, right? In a business, you want that. You want a, a different outlook and ability to do that. And I think, um, I think that that diversity can really help for architects to keep doing architecture, but also spread and and likewise um, to keep this uh, through innovation, keep the industry growing. And and that really is in our own hands if we run practices to look for innovation rather than corner ourselves and limit ourselves to thinking that if you spread into AI or whatever it is that you're you're taking away from the spontaneity. Well, if you think about it, parametric design does that. You know, it's using data to design, and yet it comes up with a lot of creative solutions. And of course, there's you know a lot of people that don't approve of it, uh, but it also found it very. Um, uh very i think justified um usage to simulation um into environmental simulation you know optimization of design so there is a lot of ways in which you can use that tool to actually exactly. um, you know to actually optimize what you're doing and help your human brain see things a little bit differently um and so that's that same goes to ai and to a lot of other fields but just the the this idea of us going out there and meeting that field is really what we're talking about here. So it's about usually you saying, yeah, I, I am interested in this topic and I will explore. And this is where the innovation happens. And I think we need more of this to push these boundaries of the industry exactly. uh, and keep it growing as well. And that's in, in internal desires and interests. So following your desire, for your, following your interests, developing skills, and with that really growing and pushing the boundaries of the industry forward. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you, you know, um, it, it's also about, um, it, it's, I think it's kind of ironic in the way, in the sense that um, architects, we are supposed to be creative, but when it comes to this, we are kind of hesitant, you know, we don't want to you know, let go of our, you know, our, our zone or our areas, but, I honestly think this is an amazing time to branch out, you know. Um, I, I had a friend who um, who had a friend who studied architecture, but went into medical engineering. Mm -hmm. So he used his skills as a, um, in 3D modeling and um, data to develop um, prototypes or these sorts of amateurs for um, medical um, processes. You know, maybe for surgery and all these things. You know. um, lots of architects are going into UX design, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Because it's 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 a way user experience. You know, who's the best person who knows how to use space? It's an architect. You know, so applying those yeah. skills into a different area. You know, um, it, people who are going into business who did maybe an undergrad or a master's in architecture, and then they did an MBA or something, you know, and they're applying their skills in real estate or whatever. I think the, the, the opportunities and the potential is massive, you know. The thing is, we just need to shake our ideas a bit, you know, shake the tree a bit, you know, and see where we can actually go, you know. Um, even, even in architecture, I mean, even what you're doing, you know what so what you're doing yourself you know it's innovative in a sense you're helping other architects become better at what they do 
Um, yeah. And for me, it's it's that's the one thing, the main thing I took away from my schooling. Um, it just manifested itself years later, but um, it's this idea that how can I apply my architectural thinking skills or how to solve problems creatively into other areas. It could still be in architecture or it could be in real estate or it could be in finance, agriculture or whatever, you know. Um, I, I have a friend, right? She is, her background is civil engineering, but she's a venture capital investor because she's really good at numbers. Because when you're working as a VC, uh, you really have to look at numbers, projections and that sort of thing. And she's now a VC um, investor. So she analyzes um, portfolios and, you know, figures out how to, you know, make them better and, you know, develops like organizes funding for them and stuff. She's, you know, she's also in that tell field. Her that, you know, she, uh, tell her that we need more venture capital in architecture to sponsor innovation <laughs> and innovative <laughs> projects. Maybe she wants to set no. up a fund that can uh, help architects basically grow innovative, innovative ideas because we don't have venture capital being invested into architecture. And I think it's a bummer. No, but you, you see, th this is the thing, right? Um, when, when as an architect, right? Architects, right? We, we, in the process of doing something, a project, right? Um, design is an investment, right? In a project. So if you're coming from a developer or an asset manager or that perspective of things, right? Design is not, it's actually costing you money. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you don't see the immediate outcome. And we, you and I and architects know that the better the way a building is designed, the better the quality, because the prices go up or whatever. I'm just talking about the, the scheme of things, right? Mm -hmm. Because quality of living is, is important, right? So for me, the way I see it is, if architects can come up with a way of how they can actually create actual value that is convincing to those people who have access to capital, mm. then you see that. And even you have lots of um, investors in, in this space. Well, it's not directly in architecture, but it's in the context space, construction technology, prop tech. You know, uh, they are there. But um, directly in architecture. Um, but as you say, it's all about value and knowing where to go with this. So if you exactly. come up with a really good solution, basically that provides value and is venture capital ready and just it's justified to get the funding, why not? And so yeah. definitely there is that potential. It's just that again, which architects will come up with it if they don't even know about venture capital, you know, which is the case. I think, exactly. I think a lot of architects don't understand how basically businesses get funded in other industries because simply they don't have that knowledge about business. And so it comes a little bit as a, like a shock. Like it definitely, I, I had that aha moment in my life, you know, that when I realized how tech businesses get funded or mobility businesses get funded and I was like, wait a minute, Oh my god! It can it can actually be like twenty two and come up with an idea and get funding, uh, like because yeah. in architecture we believe that we have to um, I don't know have a rich family to commission our first project. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's really hard to make it. Um, and, you know, and also with, with architecture, right? Um, 
you are, you are totally right. That's the first um, revelation I had when I moved into real estate. This idea of there's no, when it comes to business, that's not a strong point at all when it comes to architecture. Mm. And for some reason, we feel that when you're in school, right, you think, okay, I'm going to study, get my degree or whatever, work for a bit, then go into practice. You know, that's the dream of everybody. Because everybody mm. at the end of the day wants to, to go into private practice. You're your own boss. You're doing all these great designs. You know, you are, the world is just, whew, it's great. The reality is like, is that it doesn't really happen like that, you know, because um, there's a business side of things because architecture, whilst it's a passion, it's also a business. This episode of Architecture Talk Tank is brought to you by the MGS Global Group, a team that provides on-demand CAD and BIM drafting, as well as renderings for architecture firms. In today's environment, with everyone experiencing a surge in projects and staffing challenges, MGS Global can deliver your drawings on time and within your budget. So why work with MGS Global? Their customer service is exceptional and they provide quality for value. They have completed over 5,000 projects worldwide, a testament to their work. Now you can focus on design and let MGS do the rest. Check them out at www.mgsglobalgroup.com. You know, because you have to get clients, because in order to grow, it's it's like a self-reinforcing um, thing. You have to have a good business plan to go do, do, do good design. You have to have good design to have a good business. It's a self-reinforcing mm -hmm. yeah. thing. And I, I don't think, uh, when I was in school, at least, I can only speak for myself, I didn't get any sort of business um, thing. All we got was the last, I think the last time is that we had to come up with this business plan. And it was, there was nothing about, you know, numbers and how to do marketing and things that really matter. You know? And you find that a lot of architects, when they get to this stage, they realize that, okay, how do I do this? What's going on? And it's almost as if this, these things have to work out themselves because I'm an architect, you know, the world will want my designs. The world will want me to do all these things. It doesn't happen like that. <laughs> you have to, you have to justify certain things. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I, I, what I love to do is I love to study architecture firms, you know, today. And I'll just give a few uh, examples. So for example, um, if you take a Bianca Ingalls group, big, right? If you look at the structure, the reason why they are so successful is not because it's luck, it's the way they structured the, the, the company. It's like a normal business. You know, they have a CEO and they have lots of partners, right? Um, if you look at OMA, OMA has a branch called AMO, right? So they're yeah. able to help, it helps for their business model, they're able to understand and build a sort of research framework around their projects which works for them. Number four has a specialist modeling group, which is a private, it's, it's a side thing, which helps um, build like these sorts of um, innovative models with the 3D models and stuff. They use it with, for the Beijing airport and stuff. You know, it was really innovative at the time. So if you look, a lot of these companies have actually gone and done the homework in terms of being a good design business, business that focuses on architecture, but also a business, they, they are into the business of architecture, if I were to put it like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, it's just a great example. Um, I think that this is really where the secret lies because we really believe that like to be successful in architecture, it's about the quality of our design and hard work. That when you look at successful people, what they did, it's not, I mean, if you would say it's hard work, then how did Big work harder by the age of 20 something that he already made mm -hmm. You know, his first buildings happen like he must have slept it's not about hard work you know it's about yeah. smart work it's about smart mm -hmm. work exactly smart whereas, work yes whereas the smartness is in the systems you know if you want to scale and if you want to be seen by the big players you cannot play small like it's just you're never gonna get there because you're just gonna be trying to get the attention of the wrong people so it's yeah. really about how you strategize and i think that after all we can have all these different beliefs about how architecture doesn't teach us about business and all that stuff and all that stuff and all that stuff well it was my story too you know i've also had a practice and i also went there blindly as you know as a, a horse with you know just seeing this much and I have had no idea what I'm doing for most of the part. Um, but that was really the biggest kind of learning curve in business. And from that moment on, when I realized, okay, that's not the end of the journey. Just making this work is not it. It's not enough. I want to mm -hmm. learn more because I want to learn about scaling. And generally, this is the moment where someone just recommended for me to go into other fields and see what other fields are doing. And what is their success path? And you know, really, weirdly enough, that advice got me into digital transformation in the first place because I realized that as I went to America and I started to study business people, people like Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins, like you name it, all these big people that made it in business, all they were doing is using digital transformation to mm. position themselves to be seen, doing lives like what we're doing right now. And I was like, hold on a minute, is this maybe a secret? Like, is this, does this teach me something? Because they might mm -hmm. be saying, you know, they might be telling you all these things, but what they're doing is actually what makes their business work. And so exactly. I was like, could we, inter could we interpret that and have this happen in architecture too, you know? And so starting people that started to create digital products in architecture teach in architecture digitally by uh, by basically putting their expertise online and attracting the right type of customer the right type of client the right type of audience to themselves through the message that they have to give and building their whole business around that and when you mm -hmm. really like only after i started to study that i realized that this is actually something that big did because he started by publishing a book which is a series of like it's like a manifesto basically mm -hmm. yes it's more it's a manifesto that he designed really well he was really into drawing and comics and all this illustration stuff and he published that before really he started to fully build and he became yeah. what he was preaching the reason behind it is because there is a power in methodology there is a power in mm. uh, design thinking in something that you represent and i think that that's uniqueness is a key to yeah. business and when i watch what people the successful people are doing is they lead by expertise and when yeah. you look at architects we are experts we are experts in whatever the heck you research for your ma phd and ba all together and then all the other years of, of work and mm. study that you put into your path make you an expert so why do we not take that and basically 
run with it and lead with it and build businesses around that, a business of expertise. And this is essentially what my aha moment was around this. And this is what I'm doing right now is how can I base my whole business around my knowledge and what I know, what I've learned, you know, my experience. And of course, for a lot of architects, my I'm only 34, right? So for a lot of architects, I might be too young to even teach. But I can guarantee you that the big aha moments I had already on my journey have completely shifted my experience and also my perception of architecture. And mm -hmm. I, through that, became more um, tenacious, but also more um, fluid with it all. I don't justify mm -hmm. myself anymore through whether or not I practice architecture because my whole life is architecture. Like I literally talk about it and work in that field the whole time. However, mm -hmm. I don't design I used to and exactly. the point is, yeah. you're not an architect only when you're design like there is a lot of architects that have actually never really built their de their designs they've just been writing incredible books and doing drawings and they still make famous so the point yeah. is it's not about that it's about what you represent the ideology that you represent and mm. <laughs> um, my dog is just uh, going crazy <laughs> sorry Um so yeah the no point problem. is that um, I think it, there is something really powerful in owning what you represent, your methodology, mm. and really leading forward your practice, your business, your uniqueness as an as an expert, leading forward with that expertise. And mm. essentially, all the work that I do is helping architects do that. And yeah. shameless plug, guys, find me on Facebook or write me a private message if you're interested to find out more. I'm happy to direct you to the right resources. But honestly, um, this is really what it's about, is you owning your mm. own uniqueness, understanding what value you hold and how can you stretch the boundaries of architecture into other industries and help people through what you do. And you might find that that may, may bring better and much more promising financial fulfillment simply no. because there might be resources outside of architecture that you can source from to grow your business, basically, like venture capital, for example. No. Um, so don't see it as a failure to shift or to pivot, but rather as, as following your heart, following your identity and just going for it because the industry needs it. We talked about yeah. how it's a slowly disappearing industry and the industry needs it. And I also, I think that we're, we're thirsty for more innovation in this industry for sure. You know, um, I, I just wanted to touch on your point when you spoke about um, Bjarke Engels big, you know, um, it's, it's, it's interesting you said that because it's it's totally true, you know. Um, just for for the people who are listening, right? For me, when I I did a bit of research, as I said, when I was trying to figure out, you know, where to go, you know, and one of the people I looked at was, as I said, back Ingalls, big, big. And the thing is, he, he for him he was people I've I've seen a lot of comments on you know like art daily and design design that oh this guy is just in marketing blah 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 you know he's just right. he doesn't do good design. You know, but 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 things just look as you say. Look at the methodology. Just look at the mm. methodology. First of all, okay, let's give him credit where it's due. Jack um, Engels. Some of his most innovative projects are in Scandinavia, and the Scandinavians mm -hmm. are very progressive when it comes to these things. So a lot of these projects he was doing in Denmark, you cannot do in Germany, right? But yeah. here's the thing: he understood that okay, if I get traction there. I release books, yes, it's more, and all these um, this idea of hedonistic sustainability and all these things, right? Is going to catch capture a global audience. 
So mm-hmm. right now, his project that he started in, he started with small projects in um, in Denmark with plots, um, with I think Yandy Smith, or oh, I've forgotten his name. And he developed big, you know, did all these crazy projects. Now he's building virtually in Germany. Yeah. You know, he's, Germany, he's, he's building in New York, he's building around the world. You know, and he's and if you look, he's also started these sort of side uh, projects like big builds, you know, projects that can actually engineer his designs, you know. Mm. So right now, if a project comes up, he knows how to win these projects, you know. So it's it's people will say, Oh, he's just a marketing, he's a marketing gimmick. Fair enough, but he's but doing why worldwide projects. That? This is something that I don't understand. Like I literally the basis of business is me marketing. Neither. Someone does it great. Why don't you learn from them rather than criticize? Exactly. It's such exactly. a strange thing that we have in the industry that people criticize success. Like how many times have we heard architects speak badly about all these star architects who made it and be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well, she this, she that. And criticizing the innovation, like how much yeah. criticism Zaha Hadid got just because she was shaping the buildings differently than you used to. I mean, so what are we supposed to be visionaries that are following all the same path and doing the same things? Like <laughs> we are here trained to be innovators, you know? Yeah. And so but somehow we don't step to that role. And this, mm. I don't understand really what's the reason there, but like, I, I, I am really open to talk about this. And I actually, this is exactly what the show here is for, to have these conversations mm. that are a little bit on the edge of like this obsolete no, madness yeah. architecture mm. really represents and looking into other things because my biggest inspiration for the reason why I pivoted, for the reason why I run my business and the way I do it and all I do is really inspiration that comes from other industries and being, just asking a question, why not me? Why not architecture? Exactly, exactly. You know, um, you, you, finished, you hit it right on the, nail, on the, on the head there. Um, if you want to learn, you learn from other industries. Simple, you know. Absolutely. If you want to innovate, you you look you look at other like examples and and you take it from there. You know, um, I just wanted to touch on the, the point you raised before, like um, why um, we do we criticize architects and people who've made it. You know, and and I think that the issue comes down to the fact that these architects right have figured out a way to actually, as I said, haggle with the realities on the ground. They are brilliant designers. That's true. But then they have all the things they've 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 accrued all the necessary things to be able to execute, right? So marketing, these guys can sell you whatever. I mean, if you listen to how Norman Foster talks, I mean he's very he sells confidence, like I know what I'm doing and I'm going to build the best project you can ever have, you know. And and it's everything that comes with the marketing, that the prestige, the experience, everything, you know, and he's built it over the years, not just design, not just thinking inside the box, you know. Um, and this one thing I wanted to share with everybody too. Um, I was watching this uh, documentary on um it, it was an eye-opener for me, another eye-opener. Um, how much does your building weigh? Um, it's by I think it was by Norman for Sunday a documentary. And um, he was asking, oh, what's the name of this American um engineer? I've forgotten his name. Um, so in this documentary, Norman Foster was saying that um, with competitions, right, when it comes to winning competitions, because competitions are more or less the bread and butter of the, the architecture field. When you finish university, you want to do competitions to get your name out there. When you do the, your career starts snowballing, you know? and he was saying that um, in competitions, they actually had to borrow money from the bank. 
sometimes more than half a million pounds to enter competition, right? <laughs> and look at the risk involved here. If you lose, that's it, you know? <laughs> but when you're in school, when you're in school, you don't know these things. You think, oh, it's a competition, you know, you, you do this, you know, you do that. Yeah, and that's what most people do. But it, it was an eye-opener for me to understand that it, it's real, you know, it's it's a business, you know, that there's a risk involved that if we don't win this, that's half a million pounds down the toilet. Mm. You know? And I'll see a majority of firms, I don't know if they'll be able to afford that, you know, because that one project that can launch your career into the stratosphere can also sink you. Mm -hmm. you know? So that that's it. And this is what I'll say, right? This is how architects have been thinking, you know, like, competitions are one of these, these sort of pipelines in which I can get myself out there. No, it doesn't have to be just that, you know, you, you could be doing different things. You could be innovating different ideas. You know, you could come up with like some sort of, there's a company here in, in Berlin. What they do is the, I think it was started by an architect and somebody else. Um, so what they do is you, it's pretty much an in-house um, project management uh, company where you, you tell the person what you want, the amount of square meterage, blah, blah, blah. And then the AI sort of configures the house for you. And out of that, it can actually start um, selecting, like developing the components, the walls, the windows, everything you need, right? So within a matter of, say, maybe seconds or minutes, you have a house. Then, of course, you have to go and do your, your permissions with the city council and stuff. But the, the, there's already these sorts of, with different ways of doing things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I really encourage everybody to, you know, if it's architecture you want to do, that's fine, you know? But as you said, Sarah, it's about thinking, this is this platform is about for people thinking differently. And why not? Why not? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so very much, so mm -hmm. much for joining on this talk. It was absolutely amazing. Also really mm -hmm. a great shout out to Francisco Fuentes who has been sharing his thoughts Thank you so much for uh, being active and listening in and sharing so much great um, observations as well. It's it, We're here, you guys, and your interaction means so much for, for us as we show up as well. So thank you for being a part of this community. And thanks for tuning in. Um, click on the little bell below on YouTube just to get uh, to subscribe and get notifications every single time we go live. And um, yeah, and subscribe to the channel, share with your friends, and thank you so much for joining. Architecture Talk Tank has its own frequency. We're not a regular podcast, but we are here for you, always. If you have a suggestion for a guest or have a story that others in this community can benefit from, please contact me via social media or email me directly at me at saracolada.com. To sign up for my newsletter, simply go to the website saracolada.com. I am on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can find me by typing my name, Sarah Colada. Come say hi. I'm always excited when you reach out. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.